0: Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. Last week I talked to you about this Vision 2022 giving. And I encourage all of you to begin thinking about and praying about what you might give. And so as a church in five locations, we're really praying about raising up half a million dollars. And so we talked about $50,000 going towards new ministry leaders, like interns, We talked about $50,000 going towards a new campus. We're not sure where or when, but that's something we're praying about. And we've also been talking about the remainder of that money going towards a new building for our Tuncanic campus. Today, they've gone to three services. They are outgrowing, they're bursting at the seams, and so they are in need of a new facility that we can purchase and renovate. And so here are the envelopes. These are in the back by those blue boxes. And all I'm asking you to do right now is just think about it, begin praying about what might you give at all. And that will be October 30th through the end of the year. But October 30th is our big push for that. So those are in the back. You can find those at those blue boxes. So um, a few years ago, I was on my way to work. And as I was driving to work, it was the middle of winter. And I got a flat tire. And if you've ever gotten a flat tire, you know it makes a really fun noise, Right? womp, 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 womp. womp. And so that was happening. Realized I had a flat tire. I was passing a high school, so pulled into the parking lot. And it is freezing cold. I mean, it is four degrees outside. And there's a difference between how you're going to dress when you're going to work or you're going to go into the store versus being out for like 25 plus minutes. And so It was so cold that when I pulled into the parking lot, I just sat there with the heat on, waiting to muster up the courage to go outside. Did I mention it was four degrees out? I was ready to freeze to death. And so finally, I get brave enough to go outside, and I I get the jack out of my car. And this is the jack that came with the car, so we know it's really high-quality stuff. And so I get it out, and I slide this piece of tinfoil underneath my car and start working on this tire. I remove the lug nuts, and then I I go to grab the tire, and I go to pull it, and it's not moving at all. So I'm like, okay, well, first of all, I'm a pastor, so I don't know a whole lot about cars. So I take a second look, and maybe all all the lug nuts didn't come off, and yep, all of them are off, I guess I'm just weak. So I, I start pulling on this thing, and I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and the car's beginning to shake, which makes me really nervous because this jack is, like I said, not high-quality stuff. I don't know if the car is going to fall off the jack, if this jack is going to collapse, but I'm super nervous. The tire is literally frozen on. And I am out there in the winter tundra, freezing to death, wrestling, trying to pull this tire off. Eventually, I do get it off. I put the spare tire on. I go on my way. And then later that day, I bring my car to the shop and get a new tire. And it's good to go. About two days later, I I go to the doctor's. And on my way home from the doctor's appointment, I'm driving. And I hit a gigantic pothole. I mean, I'm talking about a pothole that stretches all the way across the street. It's a miracle that the pothole didn't swallow up my entire car. And instantly, I have a flat tire. Does anyone want to guess which tire went flat? The new one. Now, I'm not saying that when you buy a new tire, it should be bulletproof and indestructible. But man, out of all the tires that could go flat, it was that one And it was two days later, so frustrated, so annoyed. I don't know if anything like that has ever happened to you, where you felt like you hit the pothole, or the pothole of life has started to swallow you up, and maybe you're there now, where things are just tough, and they're hard, and you're grieving the loss of a loved one, or Maybe there's somebody in your family that is fighting cancer, or, or maybe that's you, or, or you're battling discouragement or depression, and, and things are really, really difficult, or you're in a marriage that is, that is challenging, or there's, there's an estranged relationship in your life. How do you deal with those tough issues sometimes seem to keep coming up over and over and over again? Maybe you're sitting there asking and you're questioning, God, why is this happening to me? I mean, is this what I get for following you? So how is it that we deal with the tough issues of life? How do we deal with things when it seems like we're hitting the same pothole over and over and over again, and the potholes of life are trying to swallow us up? Well, today we're going to answer that question. How do we deal with life when it gets tough? Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, is going to answer that question for us in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 4 or open it up on your phone in your Bible app. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the background. 1 Peter chapter 4 um, it's happening right around 60, 64 AD, around that time. In July 19th, 64 AD, there is an incredible fire that begins to burn through Rome. And actually, 70% of Rome burns down, and 50% of the population is now homeless. And this is a a crazy thing. It's, It's a holocaust of a fire where they have narrow streets and in these streets are high wooden apartment complexes. And so everything begins to burn and it burns for six straight days. In fact, there's a rumor that when this fire was taking place that the emperor Nero was in his tower and he was fiddling. Now, I don't know what Nero was doing or what he wasn't doing, but everybody agrees that he was not actively trying to put these fires out. In fact, many people talk about how when people did try to put these fires out, that soldiers would come and they would either hinder them or they would restart the fires. And so these people lost everything. They lost their homes, their temples, their household gods. They were completely devastated and hurt and bitter and angry, and their lives have been turned upside down. And the reality is, Nero was actually the one who started the fires. Now, whether he physically started them himself, or he asked somebody to start them, he was the one that was actually responsible. So why would he do that? You know, was it, was it because he liked playing with fire, because he liked playing with matches, or his mom made him sit in timeout too long? Like, like why would he do that? He just had this incredible fixation for buildings. And so he wanted to burn down all the buildings and build new buildings. It's pretty sick and twisted. And so he sees that everybody in Rome is frustrated and angry and discouraged and overwhelmed with this. And so he needs to divert the attention somewhere else. He needs a scapegoat. So he chooses the Christians And Nero blames all of the Christians for the burning of of Rome, which was a pretty creative plan. It was actually pretty believable because at that point, the Christians are enemy number one. They're already despised. They're already hated. And so people began to hate them even more. And so for the next 200 years, to follow Jesus means to really swim against the current. To follow Jesus means to count the cost and maybe recognize I may actually die for my faith. And as all this is going on, Nero is continuing to persecute Christians. In fact, some Christians are known to be thrown in the pits of wild animals to fight and really not survive. And then some Christians are literally lit on fire to illuminate Nero's garden. And so Peter is answering the question, what do you do when life gets tough? So that's what we're talking about. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen behind me. Here's what he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that, you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So here, verse 12, it says, don't be surprised that if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I should expect this. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised that trials, difficulties, persecution, hardships are going to come. If you're a follower of Christ, you should expect that. The Christian life promises one thing for certain. It's suffering. That if you have decided to follow Jesus and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, don't be surprised. At what? At the fiery ordeal. That's the idea of a a hot furnace that a blacksmith would stick a metal in And it would burn out all of the impurities. And then they would use it as it was heated up to bang out whatever they wanted to and mold it and shape it. And God uses these difficulties, these trials, these persecutions, these hardships in the life of the follower of Jesus that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening. So don't act like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Don't be surprised by what is happening. Peter is saying we ought to expect it. We ought to recognize that God is going to use these hardships, use these difficulties to shape and mold us, to help us to become more like Jesus. And he says, not only expect it, but anticipate it. Be ready, be prepared This last year, um, Andrew played baseball here in Conklin, and there was a Saturday where a couple of the coaches had to work on Saturday, so they asked me to to fill in. And when you're working with eight- and nine-year-olds, it's a totally different deal. I mean, it's got to be like hands-on coaching. And so I'm there. The first inning has started. Our team is out in the field. I'm standing in the infield. I'm standing right behind second base. And off to the side is... First base, and then over here is third base. And so I'm looking at the kid playing first base, and he is probably one of the better players on the team. If you throw the ball to first base, he's going to catch it. He's probably not going to reach too far for it. If it comes anywhere here, he's actually going to catch it, which is a huge deal because you put the wrong kid at first base and he'll take the ball to the head. Andrew is playing second base. He's paying attention. And I look over at shortstop and third base, and they're playing in the dirt. There they are, crouched down, making sandcastles. And I go over there, and I say, hey, hey guys, um, get away from the dirt. Come over here. Put your glove on your hand. Put your other hand on your knee. And, and look at the batter. Pay attention. Be prepared, because that ball is coming to you. And I'm trying to teach them that when the ball is hit, you need to be ready. That if you're staring down at the ground, if you're messing in with the dirt, if you're piling up more dirt, you're not going to be prepared. And some of these kids, even in coach pitch, could hit the ball. And if they get a hold of that ball, you're going to get a line drive right to the head, and then it's lights out for you. And so I'm trying to help these kids. So I go over there, I give them instructions. I come back over to second base, and I'm standing behind there. I'm I'm looking. I'm watching. We're going through the game, and first base is paying attention. If that ball is hit to him, he's going to grab the ball, touch first base. Second base is paying attention. He gets the ball. He's throwing it to first. Shortstop is making sandcastles again. And so which one are you? When it comes to trials and difficulties and hardships, are you prepared? Are you ready or are you kind of mixing in the dirt, playing with sandcastles, unprepared, surprised that something has happened, that you didn't choreograph it this way, you didn't write the script this way and so now all of a sudden you're like, what is happening? Why is this happening to me? And God says, you should expect it. You shouldn't be surprised. And so here's the deal. As you follow Jesus, You and I, we don't get immunity from hardships. They're going to happen. They're going to take place. And so the first thing I want you to know is that following God doesn't make you immune to difficulty. Following God doesn't make you immune to difficulty. You and I, we don't get immunity. Hardships, trials, persecutions, difficulties, they're going to happen. And so we need to choose to be ready, to be prepared so that we're not surprised as if we weren't ever told about this. And then verse 13, he says, but instead of being surprised, what should you do? Rejoice. So instead of being surprised, instead of being caught off guard, he says, choose joy? That sounds ridiculous, Tim. I mean, (laughs) Tim, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know how my life has gotten turned upside down and you're telling me just to choose joy? Well, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is like when you actually get a legit check that is not like a scam check. You're like, yes, I got a 1,000 extra bucks. Sweet, that's happiness. Joy is contentment. Contentment is, okay, I know the difficulty I'm in right now. I know the trial and the hardship I'm in right now, and it's not fun. It's not filled with happiness, but I know that God is in control, and I'm, I'm leaning into that. That's joy. And he, he says, keep choosing joy. Keep rejoicing over and over and over again, and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, here's the reason you can choose Joy so that, here's the purpose, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. As a follower of Jesus, one day there will be rewards for you. As a follower of Jesus, one day there will be rewards and there will be a crown and God says, I'm going to reward you as a good and faithful servant. And so you can find joy, you can find contentment even in the difficulties of life. Because God is using all of those in our lives. And so then in verse, next, next truth I want you to get is, is suffering might be a step up. So it might be a step up, not necessarily a setback. Knowing that God is using all of these difficulties, all of these trials to mold you and shape you and help you become more like Jesus. And so it's really all about our perspective How do you see the difficulty in your life? This past week, when you had a difficulty, when you faced a trial, whether it was big or small, how did you respond? When something happened this past week, it didn't go according to plan, it didn't go your way. What was your response? Were you ready? Were you prepared? Or were you surprised again and woe is me, I can't believe this is happening to me? Was your perspective of, man, I wonder how God is going to use this? Or was your perspective of, man, this stinks. I can't believe this is happening to me again. Verse 15, here's what Peter says. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal. You got that? So this week, no murdering. What Peter is saying is sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we make a mess of our own life and we have consequences, right? What Peter is saying is if you're a meddler and you're all up in everyone's business and they don't want to talk to you anymore, you're not being persecuted. It's because you're all in up their business. And so As as a meddler, as someone who's a busybody, as someone who is a gossip, as someone who is trying to figure out what's going on in everyone's life, if the natural consequence of that is people don't want to be around you, you're not suffering for Jesus. If you take things that don't belong to you and then you experience the consequences, you're not suffering for Jesus. Peter is saying, sometimes you and I, we make choices, bad choices, bad choices and we experience the consequences of that. That's not necessarily what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about if you're a follower of Jesus and you're living your life for him and you begin to suffer, recognize that's okay. Lean into that. What does that look like? Maybe you're married and your spouse doesn't love God They don't want anything to do with church. They're indifferent towards you. They're indifferent towards your faith and they begin to maybe think differently of you or maybe they even give you a hard time. They ridicule you for following Jesus. And Peter says, don't be surprised by that. Expect that. Lean into that. As you suffer, suffer well for Jesus. Maybe you're at work and you're a person who's, who's trying to be a man or a woman of character and integrity. And you're not trying to steal time from your boss. You're working hard. You're not going to fudge the numbers on the expense report. You're going to be a someone of character and integrity. And people take note of that. But they also begin to talk about you. They also begin to send emails around about you. They also begin to joke with you or about you or make fun of you. And now people... Think of you as as that person. Expect that. Lean into that. Don't be surprised when that happens. When you take a stand for Jesus at work and people talk differently about you. Or maybe you're at school and you take a stand for Christ and you decide, okay, there's some things I'm not gonna do as a follower of Jesus. I'm not gonna cheat on tests. I'm not gonna party on the weekends like everybody else. I'm not gonna talk like everybody else. I'm going to be different and your friends begin to walk away, or they begin to talk about you, or they begin to make fun of you, and you're taking that stand for Jesus, don't be surprised, but expect that. Lean into that. That God is going to use that suffering. He's gonna use those scenarios. That's actually a a step up, not a step down or a step back. But God is gonna use those scenarios to grow you and shape you and mold you and help you become more like Jesus. And so Paul or Peter is saying, "Look, if you're suffering, don't let it be because of your own sin. If you're suffering, don't let it be because of your own choices. But suffer as a follower of Christ." Next thing I see is sometimes this is true for me that that when things aren't going well for me, I don't know if you ever do this, but I tend to complain. When things aren't going well for me, I tend to like zone out and, and spend way too much time on social media. I, I tend to complain, I, can, I tend to argue, I tend to get a little angry. And so, so many times when, when, when we're suffering, when we're going through hardships and we're going through trials, we can kind of use that as an excuse to be lazy or, or sin ourselves. And so expect the suffering. Expect hardships, knowing it's actually a step up. But also the next thing I want you to see is struggling isn't a license to sin. That as you struggle, don't say, well, well, because I'm in this hard time, because life is hard, I'm just gonna go and gossip. I'm gonna go and complain. I'm gonna vent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lash out at somebody. It's not an excuse to sin. And so... We need to understand that there's some, something significant happening here. Look at verse 16 with me. Verse 16, however, if you do suffer, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not Obey the gospel of God. As you suffer, you will have incredible opportunities to share the gospel because people around you are watching you. And as you suffer, as you go through difficulties, as you go through these trials, you might not say anything at all, but your actions and your reactions and how you respond is communicating so much that it might be the only Jesus people see when you suffer, when you go through these hardships. And so we need to understand that there's something significant at stake. It's the gospel, that you have an opportunity to share the gospel. Verse 18 says, and if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So when you're struggling, you might start asking questions like, okay, God, what opportunities are here for me? What opportunities do you have for me right now as I suffer, as I work through this? How do I leverage this opportunity for you and your kingdom? So here's the next point I want you to grasp. Suffering may produce opportunities for the gospel. Suffering actually will produce those opportunities. That people at work, people at school, people in your neighborhood, people in your your family will see as you go through these hardships, as you go through these trials, that your actions and how you respond to that often speaks louder than words. They're watching you. And that is going to tell a story. It's going to share a testimony as to what you believe is true about God. So what do we do? First thing is we gotta trust God. And I know that sounds like a bumper sticker. That sounds like, oh good. Great advice, Tim. Just just trust God more. How do I do that? What does that look like? I would say, first of all, it looks like me reminding myself over and over and over again the things I know to be true about God. Things like God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I need to remind myself over and over again that when I'm in that hardship when I'm in that trial, when things are, are, seem like pothole after pothole is swallowing me up, God has never left me and he will never forsake me. I need to remind myself of, of truths like Psalm 23, that God is my shepherd and he will lead me to what? Green pastures and still waters. That if I'm a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is my helper, that, that God sent this helper to be with me forever. I'm not alone. I'm not being singled out. This is not unique. This is not something that's common. Other people have gone through it. I need to remind myself over and over again, wait, wait, wait. God is going to use this. God said, don't be surprised. God said he's going to use this for opportunities for the gospel. So, okay, God, what opportunities do I have? Remind yourself. You can trust him. The second thing I would say is keep doing good. Keep obeying God, keep doing good. Don't repay evil for evil, but repay evil for good. Keep doing good. This is exactly what Peter calls the believers to do in Asia Minor. He tells them, continue to do good. Look at verse 19. He says, so then, so then, or or therefore, in light of everything I've just said, what? Those who suffer according to God's will should commit, commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do whatever I want. Continue to do good. That word commit is the idea of entrusting. It's a banking term. Entrust something valuable to somebody else. Entrust your soul, entrust your life. To who? To the faithful Creator, that he's the one that's allowing you to go through this difficulty. Maybe he even put it in your life because he's going to use it to shape you and mold you. And that's why he says, don't be surprised. This is actually a step up. You don't have immunity from difficulties, but you can trust him because why? He's faithful. He is the faithful creator. And he's been faithful all of your life and all of my life. And this is what it means to trust him, reminding myself over and over and over again. Yes, he is faithful. So here's the big idea. Even when things get tough, and they will get tough, commit yourself to God and keep doing good. So this week, you're going to face something difficult. Will you be prepared or surprised? This week, when you face something difficult, what will your perspective be? Will it be, what was me? I can't believe this is happening. Or I wonder how God is gonna use this. Yes. This week, when you face something challenging and overwhelming, will you lean into God or you lean into yourself? Will you continue To do good, we commit to Him and see Him as our faithful Creator. Let me pray with you. Father, recognize that there's a lot of people here this morning that are going through difficulties that we can't even begin to fathom. And you are the faithful Creator who allows us to go through these challenges. And you call us to trust you. You call us to rest in you. And so we pray that later this week, as we go about our our day, as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go to wherever it is that we go to, we go through life, we would lean on you and we would trust you as our faithful creator. Pray that as we hit those potholes of life, we would be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Amen.